Well, here we are. It's the Raised by Whoops fake radio show. This is your host, Andrew. I'm one of two hosts of this show. The other guy's Glenn in Canada, where it's cold. He's great. Uh, What am I talking about? I'm talking about the Raised by Whoops fake radio show being a place where you can listen for free to stories, original music, sometimes interviews, and basically whatever the fuck we feel like putting on here because that's how these things work. Podcasts. You do whatever you want. It's fake radio, not real, can do, will do, have done, have been done doing, and will do some more. This is a story I'm about to tell you called A Christmas Tree Wasteland. It's true. Wrote it myself, recorded it, played some guitar, recorded that too, and uh, put it all together, and it's coming up. As soon as I stop talking, you'll hear music, and then I'll talk some more. And that's this fake radio show. Until next time, adios. Last year alone, roughly 30 million households in the United States purchased a real Christmas tree. Currently, according to the American Christmas Tree Association, there are around 350 million of them planted in various states of harvest readiness. Last year, once the season had come and gone, I was asked by a neighbor to help dispose of one of those 30 million worn-out trees. As it happens, the rate of fake Christmas tree adoption is increasing as the rate of tree buying in general is on the decline. For example, never in our adult lives have either my wife or I celebrated the season by buying a tree, fake or otherwise. Evidently, we're not alone in this. I can't speak for my wife, but I find the weird rituals of Christmas to be so confused and strange. The reasons why our culture observes them are fundamentally lost on me. I'm not crazy about the combination of red and green. Big ribbons don't give me a warm or fuzzy feeling. And the bizarre pantheon of Christmas characters and creatures makes me want to ask many pointless questions which can't be answered. Seriously, if you break down the constituent traits of the cast in any given Christmas-themed story, shit gets weird fast. Just take the top dog, Santa Claus. Essentially, you have an ancient, immortal demigod bestowed with a host of supernatural gifts. These include the power to travel the entire world in a single night, an insatiable need to ravage piles of cookie while guzzling millions of gallons of milk, and the ability to leap into and out of homes of people whose kids made his omnipotently populated list of good and evil children. Crazy, right? I could go on about his weird manufacturing plant, hidden from the world in a frozen hellscape, inaccessible and undetectable by modern man's most sensitive instruments, but I think you get the point. A short list of other improbable characters would also implicate multiple other immortal beings, including the following. A creature made from snow and garbage who sings songs and has fully formed opinions on the precious nature of his wintry hauntings. A team of judgmental yet self-aware flying reindeer. The long-suffering wife of the aforementioned snack-attacking demigod. And, of course, you can't forget that the whole thing was set up by an ancient Christian sect to hide the season's pagan origins by celebrating the birth of their singular god's only son. A son whose brutal murder and resurrection from the grave will be celebrated in the spring, giving us the world's first benevolent zombie festival. 
which itself is curiously linked to an immortal rabbit somehow. As you can imagine, none of this came up when my neighbor asked me to remove her tree. This neighbor is 85 years old and a fairly nervous person. Her uneasiness is quite understandable. She spent five years taking care of her husband as he slowly died from Parkinson's and has spent the last five years since his death alone in her home. I've known her for about six years and have helped with various tasks throughout. My first visit to her home was an emergency. Her husband had a powerful seizure and fell out of his chair at the breakfast table. I was working outside when she called down from the parking deck on the hill above our garden. I hopped the fence and entered her home for the first time. Her husband was on the floor, wincing in pain. I'll never forget the look in his eyes. Confused and horrified, in his most vulnerable state, he was confronted with the face of a tall and bearded stranger. There was a caregiver there as well, and both the neighbor and the caregiver were frantic, panicked, talking loudly and moving things about. I have no medical training, but my first instinct was to kneel next to him and say hello. I introduced myself, put my hand on his chest, and assured him that I was there to help. Even the tears in his eyes looked old and exhausted. This man, once a pediatric physician, sweet and comforting to ill and frightened children, seemed to understand what I was saying to him. He released the tension in his neck, relaxing a little under the cool wood floor, as the soft and sparse hairs on the back of his head spread out delicately behind him like a fallen spiderweb. There was considerable debate about how he should be moved. Disregarding the conundrum and panic, I looked him over, palpating his hips, back, neck, and arms, tracking the expressions in his face for signs of extreme pain. Nothing appeared to be broken, but he had a severe bruise forming where he landed. I gently helped him back into the chair from which he'd fallen and realized he was light enough for me to carry even, if all else failed, up the four flights of stairs which led to the garage. I eventually ended the debate about how we should get him to the hospital, after being told that calling an ambulance was not the preferred option. I once again knelt down and looked into his eyes, foggy windows of pain, fear, and tears, and reassured him that he'd be taken care of. I asked him directly if I could carry him to the car. With pursed lips and a squished face, he shook his head up and down like a frightened child, accepting the offer of a warm blanket. With great care, I lifted him up by carrying the chair he was sitting in, while the caretaker walked with me up the stairs, keeping him from slipping out as we climbed. Holding him close to me as I lifted him up, I could smell a mix of hand soap, warm breakfast, freshly laundered clothes, and clean hair. The poor man was released from his torment about a month later dying in the hospital with his wife by his side. So when this neighbor, years later, asked me to carry a bare, dry, crackling, and fragrant tree out of her home in a calm and relaxed voice, I was happy to do it. She promised cookies as payment. It was a pleasant experience, honestly, and one I would happily do with or without a sweet confection guarantee. The smell of pine sap and dry needles is lovely. It clings to your hands and clothes after close contact. Unlike hauling her poor, frightened husband, handling this tree was not meant to be a delicate operation. My only concern was for the condition of the paint on the door trim, 
The object in my hands was on its way to being shredded and dispersed over the grounds of a park. On my way out of the house, I passed by a large and simply framed photograph of her husband, taken when he was my age. I'm not just bewildered by the story of Christmas. The spirit of the season is equally opaque. There are 330 million people living in my country. Each of them, it seems, has a unique notion of what the whole experiment is meant to convey. So far as I can tell, the inexplicable avatars, the lights, the gifts, the questionable decorations, and of course, the trees, are all signs of a wild desperation an outward indicator of our species' inner yearning for sweetness and meaning, an attempt to put a warm glow on a world in which the grim reality of a looming pointlessness hides in the corners of our maniac smiles and in the salt of our tears. O God and demigods, let me not be hauled away, so dry, so useless, and destined for destruction. Guide me now instead to a sweet place where I matter, where we matter, more than this matter, so spent, so parched, so long, and thanks for all the cookies. Thanks for tuning in to the Raised by Whoops fake radio show. This is Glenn. Both Andrew and I are grateful for your time and attention. If you enjoyed that episode, we'd appreciate if you could tell your friends, family, or even a few strangers about the show. Additionally, you can leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you have a story to share or a guest to recommend, you can reach out to us via the website which is raisedbywhoops.com. We're glad to have you with us. Thanks, and take care.